and welcome to Sit and Listen, a production of Science in the News. We are a graduate student-led organization at Harvard University focused on generating discussions between scientists, other experts, and enthusiasts. Today, we're back with a new episode of Sit and Listen. Tune in to learn about the history and future of some of the life on Earth, space travel, and the potential for life outside of Earth. Life has only been discovered on Earth. The origins of life on Earth began as simple compounds. These compounds combined to create living organisms and were the origins of all the diverse species on Earth today. While multiple theories have speculated on the origins of life, researchers are still trying to uncover the exact answers for how life began and why Earth was the primary location for its development. Understanding life and how it originated starts with defining what is life. Scientists have continually debated this definition. Currently, there are over a thousand different definitions of life. For example, Merriam-Webster defines life in three ways. First, the quality that distinguishes a vital and functional being from a dead body. Two, a principle or force that is considered to underlie the distinctive quality of animate beings. And three, an organismic state characterized by capacity for metabolism, growth, reaction to stimuli, and reproduction. In a scientific context, seven major characteristics are required for life. Order, response to stimuli, reproduction, growth and development, regulation, homeostasis, and energy processing. Life exists in both simple and complex forms, encompassing the smallest single cell all the way to complex human life. Many factors of Earth's environment and location in the galaxy make it the ideal place for the development of life. Steady rotation around the sun contributes to mild temperature fluctuations and a steady pattern of day and night. Varied geology and metal compounds formed the core of the Earth and were central in establishing the magnetic field. This magnetic field is crucial for deterring cosmic rays and solar flares, which would likely cause severe damage to both environments and living beings. The tilt of the Earth is also critical in allowing the development of life. Tilted at 23.5 degrees, the tilt is primarily responsible for seasonal differences in weather patterns. These variations have generated a greater variety of life on Earth, allowing ecosystems to expand and alter over time. The location of Earth and its distance from the sun is also important for life. The location allows adequate light, warm temperatures, and necessary radiation energy. Our location as the third planet from the sun with gas giant planets like Jupiter and Saturn as neighbors also protects us from wild asteroids, comets, and the gravitational pulls of larger star systems. You might be wondering, what about the atmosphere? Isn't that unique to Earth? The uniqueness and protective effect of Earth's atmosphere was necessary for the development of life. While other planets also have protective atmospheres, Earth's hydrogen-dense atmosphere gave the basis for the formation of the first microorganisms. The atmosphere was formed due to an interplanetary collision. A moon-sized object is thought to have collided with Earth, sparking the start of a metallic hailstorm and transferring many compounds necessary for atmospheric development from interplanetary space to Earth's surface. This metallic storm forced the separation of hydrogen ions from water molecules, creating a blanket of hydrogen around the Earth. 
But what about water? Life needs water. Where did that come from? One of the primary components that differentiates Earth from other planets is the existence of liquid water. Due to the Earth's position in the solar system, just far enough away from the sun to prevent evaporation, and not so far away that water freezes, Earth is able to sustain large amounts of water that currently cover around 70% of the planet. Without water, life could not exist. So how did that water get there? Well, scientists are still unsure, but the most popular theory is that a comet or asteroid collided with Earth, depositing ice onto the surface. It's still unknown if this transfer of water occurred from one single collision event or if many collisions over time were responsible for the creation of our large water reservoirs. All we know is that life evolved in the oceans. So without water, life on Earth would likely not exist. But how have we come to understand the origins of life? Much of our knowledge about the origins of life has come from the fossil record. We have literal solid rock evidence of the organisms that came before us, what they looked like, where they lived, and how they navigated the world. The fossil record of both plants and animals has been used to establish timelines in the diversification of life, assisting us in understanding how large creatures like dinosaurs and apes evolved from single-celled organisms. Fossils help us track evolution and species development over time, but one famous experiment looked to investigate the first spark that turned inanimate chemical compounds into living organisms. The Miller-Urey experiment is the most famous origins of life experiment. The two scientists created laboratory conditions similar to those of Earth's early atmosphere. Using a mixture of methane, ammonia, hydrogen, and water vapor powered by energy from a simulated lightning strike, Miller and Uri were able to form organic monomers, including the amino acids glycine and alanine. This novel experiment opened the eyes of scientists across the globe, bringing to light the possibility of generating life from non-living compounds and furthered our understanding of the origins of life. Other popular theories of life origins indicate that life may have started outside of Earth. The theory Panspermia suggests that life was brought to Earth from extraterrestrial sources. Scientists have suggested that microbes may have been brought from other planets and collided onto Earth's surface, beginning the evolution of earthly life. This theory is only one of many ideas on the origins of life, and scientists are continually testing and experimenting to understand what happened so many billions of years ago. What scientists can agree on is this, that there are fundamental building blocks of life, nucleic acids and amino acids that were transformed into some living organism. Many theories speculate on the origins of life's building blocks, but answers have so far eluded many scientists. The most common theory is that of the primordial soup, sometimes called the prebiotic or pre-life soup. The current primordial soup theory proposes that after the oceans were formed and the temperature of Earth stabilized, organic matter similar to the compounds from the Miller-Urey's process was mixed into the oceans, creating the primordial soup. Over time, as this soup was mixed, heated, and various chemical compounds were formed, a chance encounter resulted in basic nucleic acids, giving rise to what is commonly termed the RNA world. RNA is then what gave rise to more complex life and started microorganism development. 
RNA development is proposed to have occurred 4.46 billion years ago, with the first fossilized microorganisms dating back to 3.43 billion years ago. As the Earth's atmosphere continued to develop and cyanobacteria began to evolve around 2.7 billion years ago, carbon dioxide was converted into oxygen. Free oxygen eventually came to be 21% of the atmosphere. As life and Earth evolved in tandem and oxygen became a dominant component, photosynthetic organisms began to develop, stimulating the further evolution of complex life. To understand the soup hypothesis, we first have to understand what is RNA and how could this create life. Ribonucleic acids, or RNA, are the single-stranded compounds that make up nucleic acids and are essential in the formation of proteins. Most people have heard of DNA, or deoxoribonucleic acids, which store the genes that make up each individual. RNA provides the connection between DNA and proteins, which are made up of amino acids. So it's possible or very likely that the original molecule of life was RNA. You may be wondering, what about humans? When did we get into the picture? Early humans evolved directly from primate ancestors, with Homo sapiens, or upright walking humans, evolving around 315,000 years ago. On the timescale of the origins of life, humans are late to the evolutionary game. The Earth is around 4.5 billion years old, meaning that humans have only existed for around 0.004% of Earth's total history appearing many billions of years after the first life form evolved. So far in this episode, we focused on the origins of life on Earth. But what about human life outside of Earth? Humans have traveled to space and accomplished many technological and evolutionary feats. But venturing outside of Earth still poses many physical challenges for the human body. The human body is built and evolved for life on Earth. So how do we travel to space and explore beyond the only planet known to support life. We, as humans, evolved to live in the specific conditions on Earth. Conditions like minimal radiation, enough humidity, and gravity. In space, the game changes entirely, and the conditions will differ between outer space and any number of planets in our solar system or beyond. So what kind of conditions in outer space are we talking about? NASA abbreviates the risks to astronauts in long-duration spaceflight to the International Space Station, the Moon, or even Mars, with the acronym RIDGE. This stands for Space Radiation, Isolation and Confinement, Distance from Earth, Gravity Fields, and Hostile or Closed Environments. Let's dive into some of these a bit. So the first is radiation which we pretty much experience on Earth as radiation from the sun. We're actually shielded from most of the particles that encompass the space radiation environment because of the Earth's atmosphere and magnetic field. In space, none of these protections exist, and we are fully exposed to energetic particles from the sun. There is also a risk of exposure to a type of radiation called galactic cosmic rays, Scientists think these come from explosive events outside of the solar system, like supernova, and travel at high speed to our solar system. Radiation from the sun and these super energetic galactic cosmic rays can pose serious health risks to astronauts. Exposure to radiation can cause the cellular DNA to mutate, 
which over time can cause cancer and lead to other degenerative diseases. These risks only increase with an increased duration of exposure, which would happen on a trip to, say, Mars, for example. Sunscreen, anyone? Unfortunately, the radiation, especially from galactic cosmic rays, is so energetic that it's difficult to fully protect against it. Scientists at the NASA Space Radiation Laboratory are working to design new materials that might offer astronauts better protection against some of the harsher forms of radiation. So what about other physical stresses from being in space? This is the G from RIDGE, which stands for gravity. Crews will see a number of different gravity fields on a mission. In outer space, the astronauts will be weightless, and at their destination, their gravity will probably be different from on Earth. For example, one-third on Mars. Low gravity environments actually lead to all sorts of complications because bones and muscles grow, work, and are maintained in a gravity-dependent manner on Earth. If they aren't stimulated by the body's weight and motion, they begin to deteriorate. In fact, in early studies of astronauts, scientists found that the crew lost 1% to 2% of bone mineral density per month. In these cases, the bone is actually reabsorbed by the body, and the freed calcium from this process is excreted out through urine. Astronauts excrete so much calcium on the ISS that has actually become a challenge for the onboard water recycling system. So how can we stop or reverse this process? Astronauts in the ISS exercise for multiple hours a day using resistance bands. Basically, they replace gravitational potential energy from the Earth's gravity with elastic potential energy from the bands. For example, they can run on a resistance treadmill with large bungees strapped to harnesses around their hips and shoulders. Some astronauts even go the extra mile to compete in races from space. American astronaut Sunita Williams became the first person to do this, running the 2007 Boston Marathon from the ISS. She was followed by the British astronaut Tim Peake, who ran the London Marathon in 2016. But is daily exercise enough to totally counteract the loss of bone density? Unfortunately, no. This has led scientists to experiment with therapies, including those that stop bone loss. These medications are commonly used to treat osteoporosis, but they unfortunately can't reverse the pre-existing bone loss. So researchers are still investigating the underlying biology of bone loss and bone regrowth. Today, scientists can send mice on board the ISS for one to three months at a time in order to observe the effects of spaceflight on musculoskeletal biology. Some of these findings may transition to treatments for astronauts in the future, and maybe even to patients on Earth suffering from osteoporosis or bone loss caused by other disuse. The ISS also has active research in a number of other areas related to human health in space. One of the most famous recent studies was what's called a twin study, in which one of two identical twin astronauts, Scott Kelly, was sent into space for a year, while another, his twin and also astronaut, Mark Kelly, stayed on Earth. Researchers tracked everything from their pulse to the chemical makeup of their blood, both in space and on Scott's return to Earth. The findings were published in Science Magazine in 2019. 
And many of them show that the body experiences and responds to substantial oxidative stress when in space. Oxidative stress occurs when the body produces too many reactive chemicals called free radicals, which can cause damage to fatty tissue, DNA, and proteins in the body. Oxidative stress contributes substantially to aging and can be caused by a number of things, including infections and inflammation, radiation, and pollution. The effects of oxidative stress could literally be read from Scott Kelly's DNA. His telomeres, or sequences of DNA that serve as protective caps for the human genome, abnormal and variable in length. Loss of telomere length is associated with aging and stress. Scott Kelly's changing telomere length was likely caused by chronic oxidative stress during spaceflight. Further investigations into the precise mechanisms of this space-induced change in telomere length, as well as ways to stop it during prolonged flight, are ongoing. What other biological research can be conducted in space? As much as outer space can tell us about what goes haywire in human physiology, it can bring to order other experiments that are notoriously tricky on Earth. In particular, there is the field of structural biology, in which scientists uncover the precise and intricate folding of proteins. This enables deep and mechanistic insight into protein function and subsequent development of drugs that target these proteins. One way that scientists solve the structure of a protein is by purifying vast amounts of the protein and creating a large uniform crystal of that protein. Then scientists use an electron microscope to shoot electrons through the crystal and use the pattern of electron scatter to calculate the exact orientation of atoms in the protein. So where does outer space come in in all of this? Crystallography is notoriously finicky on Earth because some proteins don't form good crystals in Earth's gravity. However, some of these difficult proteins actually form larger and more uniform crystals in the microgravity of outer space. A few examples of proteins that have been successfully crystallized in space include the HE, an enzyme that is targeted by nerve gas and pesticide poison, KRAS, a protein that is frequently mutated in cancers, and LRRK2, a protein involved in the development of Parkinson's disease. So with all this talk of microgravity making you lightheaded, you might be wondering what happened to the E from Ridge. E stands for abnormal or hostile environments, E for environment, and generally pertains to the body's immune response to space flight missions. It's known that microbes can change characteristics in space and that transmission of microbes from one person to another is amplified in the close quarters. Not much social distancing on the ISS. Much like we have to do before traveling during a pandemic, astronauts have to quarantine before embarking on a mission to ensure that they don't have any active infections. On the ISS, blood and saliva samples are taken routinely to check for changes in immune activity that might point to activation of latent or otherwise known as hidden viruses in an astronaut during spaceflight. The space station itself is also swabbed to check for the presence of various forms of life. So you might ask, where is the strangest place that anyone has found life on the ISS? It turns out that there are actually bacteria on the outside of the International Space Station. 
that's right, I said the outside. Astrobiologists have installed a glass shielded box outside of the ISS. This glass protects from short wavelength UV, but allows other radiation and extreme temperatures from freezing to boiling. And of course it has no gravity. This minimal protection is supposed to mimic the protection provided by the Martian atmosphere to see whether this life might survive on Mars. Amazingly, the scientists found that the microbe Deinococcus radiodurans survived for at least three whole years in the harsh environment. They're currently trying to figure out exactly how this hardy microbe survives, as this might provide clues as to whether bacteria can survive on other planets and possibly even travel between them. A central question that has driven humans to explore space, despite its mental and physical challenges, has been, are we really alone? The origin of life on Earth was improbable, but it's difficult to believe that life only exists within the safety of the Earth's atmosphere. The search for extraterrestrial life extends beyond scientific curiosity. We are forced to wonder if finding other cognitive life may provide greater insight about our existence, our purpose, and the meaning of life altogether. As we have already discussed, human life in space and the possibility of surviving microorganisms in space, we now will turn to the search for extraterrestrial life. Ever since humans have traveled to space, and even way before, humanity has been captivated by the possibility of life somewhere else in the world. What if we aren't alone in this massive, vast universe? There have been many attempts to find life elsewhere. Things that were tried in the past, things still being tried in the present, and yet more things planned for the future. This fascination with extraterrestrial life is not unique to modern humans. Since we have been able to appreciate the night sky, we have always wondered what lies beyond. And long before the space race in the 1960s, we have longed to explore space and search for comparable intelligent life. In 1959, scientists proposed scanning for radio waves and television waves as a way to detect intelligent life, starting a new era of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. NASA has funded such efforts in the past, spending $110 million in 20 years throughout the 1970s and the 1990s, though it doesn't anymore as a result of congressional cuts. Yet. The search continues with private funding. The SETI Institute, where SETI aptly stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, spends about $2 million every year in its ongoing search for life. Additionally, some of the people who fund the Breakthrough Prize have committed $100 million to fund an initiative furthering the search for extraterrestrial life. While we have not yet discovered other planets without life, making Earth the only example we know of a planet with living organisms, Many questions remain about extraterrestrial beings and the potential life on other planets. Exoplanets, which are planets found outside of our own solar system, have long been hypothesized to harbor the building blocks of life. Our galaxy is covered with these exoplanets, and many of them are of a similar size to Earth. NASA's exoplanet program strives to search for life in space by using telescope and infrared technology that scan and survey for the chemicals necessary for life on Earth. Various chemical elements are fundamental building blocks of life on Earth and could signal the presence of life elsewhere. These are elements such as oxygen, sulfur, carbon, nitrogen, hydrogen, and phosphorus. 
Scientists continue to search for a variety of chemicals that may signal either the building blocks of life or the presence of civilization. Some common features terrestrial life forms share are a need for water, a source of energy, and be made up of certain chemical elements. However, these properties have been challenging to find outside of Earth. While some building blocks of life have been discovered elsewhere in the galaxy, there have not yet been any definitive discoveries of complex life existing outside of Earth. In 2009, the amino acid glycine was discovered on compass samples retrieved by NASA. Amino acids are used by cells to make proteins, a more complex molecule that is necessary for the survival of every cell because of its many and complex functions. This makes glycine an important building block. Many possibilities of life exist throughout the universe. Even basic chemical ingredients of life, such as the elements carbon and hydrogen, are derived from the ultraviolet light of stars. And even though we haven't yet found evidence of life beyond Earth, that doesn't mean we have lost hope. It's a real possibility that there is extraterrestrial life. At the very least, every so often, there's a news story about water on some other planet or moon, and invariably, that news story brings up the possibility of extraterrestrial life. Even for a relatively close and well-known planet such as Mars, these stories are, these, those stories and catchy headlines are more recent than you might think. In July 2018, the New York Times announced, quote, a large body of water on Mars is detected, raising the potential for alien life. With the recent Perseverance rover and Ingenuity helicopter, who knows what scientists will find or what the media will report. News stories notwithstanding, even NASA has held out hope. Notably, the two Voyager probes both carried a so-called golden record. These two gold-plated copper disks were created, in NASA's words, to communicate a story of our world to extraterrestrials and contain 115 images, 90 minutes from 27 songs, 21 sounds from life and human activity on Earth, and 55 unique spoken greetings in different languages. Even before then, two American space probes, Pioneer 10 and Pioneer 11, each carried a plaque with them to communicate the presence of its humanity with any intelligent extraterrestrial the probes may encounter. Of course, any discussion of space exploration wouldn't be complete without also realizing that over 80% of the ocean is unexplored. The ocean is so close and so much more familiar. At least, that's what we would think. We might visit a warm sunny beach and dip our feet into the cool calming water and that helps us feel that we know the ocean. Yet, at the same time, that similarly massive and vast body of water is still so unknown. That dip is far from understanding the innumerable unique organisms and ecosystems in the sea. Plainly, we don't know that much about the ocean at all. In talking about the Earth more generally, a study has estimated that 86% of species on land have not yet been discovered, as well as 91% of species living in the waters. Will we soon know more about Mars than the ocean on our own planet? Does our desire to explore the distant, far world surpass our will to explore the closer and near, but still far, world? We have been talking about life, and the quest for extraterrestrial life has often started on Mars. And it's not just a quest that's happening in real life. There's something about going to Mars that has enamored humanity. Something. Together with Martians, it's a recurrent theme in science fiction novels and films. Journalists have written about Mars Please, Mars Supper Clubs, and Mars Homes. 
it is a fun exercise to think about the fantastical what ifs. What if humans actually got to Mars? What if humans had to conduct a rescue mission on Mars? But then, what if humans encountered unknown creatures on Mars? There are other what ifs too, ones that may appear simpler but can still fill just as many pages as the more distant fanciful what ifs. What if we increase funding for space projects? What if the technology for interplanetary travel to Mars became a reality? But then, what if our bodies cannot handle the trip to Mars? The need to address the potential negative biological effects of humans going to Mars is already a reality scientists know we have to consider. Close confinement for a prolonged period of time, space radiation, and microgravity can all take a toll on both physical and mental health. In 2004, NASA developed a human research program that, as you can probably guess, researches the effects of traveling to space in an attempt to expand astronauts' abilities and allow human exploration at greater distances beyond Earth. Priya has previously described some multi-organ system effects of extended space travel that we now know thanks to this program. And maybe going to Mars isn't actually so in reach. It may appear so such as when a Netherlands-based Mars One announced in 2011 that they would land people on Mars by 2024. Still remember that? Then you probably also remember that the for-profit company behind Mars One went bankrupt in 2019. As the years pass, that 2024 target has slipped just that much further. Still, for those who are hopeful, 2024 need not sail past without a human mission to Mars. In December 2020, SpaceX founder and CEO Elon Musk said SpaceX could launch a crewed mission to Mars in 2024, quote, if we get lucky. More recently, Musk said in April 2021 that he is, quote, highly confident that a crewed Mars launch will happen by 2026. However, the news outlet Insider has written that this timeline is doubtful. Well, the time between the first American spaceflight and the first moon landing was only slightly over eight years. But of course, technical development and unmanned test flights had already happened earlier. Additionally, the effort to land a human on the moon required significant financial resources. Over 14 years, the Apollo program, which includes the well-known Apollo 11 moon landing, cost between $124 billion and $283 billion in today's dollars. At its height, the program accounted for 2.2% of the US federal budget. And I think that is a massive amount of money and a really good illustration of the financial commitment needed to go to Mars. There haven't been exact predictions. However, we can get a sense from past missions. The Perseverance rover, which landed February this year, cost $2.9 billion in 2020 dollars. The Planetary Society, a nonprofit organization, equates this to running the Department of Defense for 33 hours, how much Google earns in 6 days, and how much Americans spend on their pets every 10 days. Our interest in Mars has only been renewed and revitalized in recent times. Our interest in space has only increased with Mars 2020 and other recent space missions. Ingenuity, a small helicopter, flew on Mars for the first time on April 19th of this year, and recently, we've been getting news of a fuel traveling to the outer boundaries of space. Stay tuned!